Well, hey, church, glad to see you guys here this morning. Um, for me, every summer, I go to this conference, and the same conference, and it's a different place every year, um, but it's a, it's a conference that's kind of affiliated with churches that are like sister churches of ours in our, in our little network of churches here at Grace, and, um, and every year, I have the same conversation with the same guy, and this guy is somebody that I really don't know at all, okay? And the conversation goes usually something like this. He'll come up, and he'll be like, hey, man, how you doing? I'm like, oh, it's you again. Hey, buddy, you know, and he'll be like, awesome, G- great to see you. Hey, how's the family, you know? And I'm like, he doesn't know anything about my family. He doesn't know my kids. He doesn't know how many people are in my family. He doesn't even know if I don't even have a family or not, but, you know, it's the same thing every year. And I'm like, oh, yeah, family's doing good, and he'll be like, okay. Okay, yeah, and you're still at that church. And now, mind you, everybody at this conference works at a church. Okay, so that's an easy one. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm still at the church, you know, plugging away. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's awesome, man. I hear you're doing really good. Hey, hey, um, um, what, what town is that in? I, I have it on the tip of my tongue. I'm like, yeah, it's a town called Tiffin. And he'll be like, all right, Tiffin, Tiffin. Yeah, and that's in... Uh, I'm like, Ohio, you know? He's like, oh, right, I knew that, I knew that. And he's like, super energetic, super nice guy, but the guy doesn't know me, you know? He doesn't know anything about me. It's the same conversation that we have every single year, but you know what he does? He acts like we're best friends, you know? He acts like we've known each other all our, all our life, but, that, but the honest truth is, is we don't. And what's interesting about it is, as you look at our world, and, and really for us specifically, kind of our culture and our society of the people that are around us, everybody knows Jesus, okay? Like everybody sitting here, if this is your first time here to Grace, that's awesome, we want you here, that's totally, you know, we're so glad that you're with us. But you've probably heard of Jesus before, all right? At least, at least the name. It seems like as you look around, everybody knows Jesus, everybody likes Jesus, everybody's like into Jesus. And that's why you have like politicians using Jesus and God and like, you know, God bless. And you, people say that. We have phrases uh, like that. Um, and what's funny to me is like the pro athletes, okay? Pro athletes do this stuff all the time. Like when they go, they win a big game. You know what I'm talking about? The reporter goes to the star of the game or the quarterback or whoever it might be. And they're like, you know, so how'd you feel? You know, how, how'd you do this? And, he, and they're always like, well, the first thing I want to do is thank God, thank Jesus, you know, my savior, he did this and all that stuff. Um, and for me, the thing that I like the most when it comes to athletes is I follow college football a lot. I love college football, all about it. And um, it's the kids that are like the high school kids that's recruiting, you know, they, they're sitting at their table and they got the hats of the school that they're going to pick. And, and, um, and they're, before they pick, so everybody's like in suspense, they're like, okay, first thing I want to do is, you know, I'm going to, I want to praise my Lord and Savior and giving me this opportunity and my gifts and my talents. And then it goes on to like the, the, his family and my mom and my dad and my parents and, and then my coaches and my teammates and just, you know, they go through like the whole thing, but God's always, God's always first. And then they pick the team. And then it was funny. It's like two months later, they decommit from that team now, because that's just how college football is now. But they, so, they, so they're doing this. They, it's like we, we use Jesus all the time and our society uses Jesus all the time. And it's funny because if I were to ask the average Jesus lover, you know, what Jesus said, They'd be like, uh, oh, oh no, he said some good stuff. What, what's good stuff? I don't know. Or if I were to ask the average Jesus lover about what Jesus did, they wouldn't have a clue. All right, we don't, people don't know. They don't know what he said and they don't know what he did. And it's funny to me that many people are all about Jesus, but they just don't know much about Jesus. And so what we end up doing when we do this, and 
Every single one of us, we're all in the same boat here. We all do this to a certain extent, which is very, very, very scary and really a problem for every single one of us in this room to a certain extent, is when, when we think about Jesus, what we end up doing is we end up filling in the blanks with a lot of assumptions about who we think Jesus was or who we think Jesus should be. And when we do that, here's the problem with that, is that we end up with our own, you know, made-up Jesus, and the, our own made-up Jesus that we have in our minds is interesting because it looks a lot like you, right? right? It's interesting because that Jesus agrees with all the things that you agree with, all right? The problem with the made-up Jesus, number one, is he's not real, okay? So that's a pretty big problem in and of itself, all right? But the, but the main problem is, or is the made-up Jesus, at the end of the day, I mean, the made-up Jesus can't help you. It can't challenge you because it can't disagree with you. And at the end of the day, he's just you. And if you want real change, which hopefully most of us in this room do, and if you want to become the person that God has called you to be, that God has created you to be, you got to look at the real one. All right, you got to look at the real Jesus. And that's who I want you to meet over the next few months as we walk through the book of Luke together. I want us all together to meet Jesus and to meet Jesus exactly where he's at. Now, um, that's what we're going to be doing. Um, remember, we've, we've been wor- working through Luke. Actually, this is the seventh week in Luke already, okay? Crazy to me. I'm just like, what is going on? We're only in chapter four, so that's not good. All right, I need to speed this up, I guess. I don't know. But, um, but Luke was a Greek doctor, in case this is one of your first times with us. Uh, he was a Greek doctor that lived 2,000 years ago at the time of Jesus, and Luke wanted to know uh, Jesus. He wanted to know him, okay? Not just the rumors, not just, not just hey, I heard he did this one thing this one time, and, and that's pretty cool. I heard this. That's not what he... It's not what he's interested in, right? He wants to know the real deal. And so he dove in and he investigated and he sat down with the eyewitnesses, the people who got to experience Jesus and the people who got to see the things that Jesus did and and hear the things that Jesus said. And he got to sit down with them and he had the, the conversations with them. And what he did at the end is he compiled all the facts. He compiled all the things that he learned about Jesus and in his life. And he filed, wrote it down all into one orderly document. And that, by the way, is the book of Luke that each and every one of us have in our Bibles. That's what Luke is. And so last week, uh, we left off with Jesus. Um, He has, uh, he's just got done spending almost a month and a half by himself. This is right at the beginning. All right, this is the beginning of his ministry. He hasn't actually even really started his ministry or his public ministry yet. And, uh, And he spends about a month and a half by himself out in the desert. And at the end of that, if you remember, Satan shows up and like tries to tempt him. He tries to force Jesus or get Jesus to do something wrong. And after that's done, and after, you know, Satan loses, I guess, um, you would think, you would expect Jesus to like, you know, start his public ministry. Like, okay, all right, this is cool. Uh, at this point, he's already been baptized by this dude named John. John, all the people viewed as someone extremely special, right? He was like a prophet in and of himself. And here's John on the scene in front of crowds and crowds and crowds and crowds of people who's like, actually, I'm not the special one. It's actually this guy, Jesus. He's the Messiah. Now, if you remember, we've talked about what the word Messiah means. Um, Messiah is just an old word for Savior, okay? And so throughout the Old Testament, what we see is that God is constantly pointing towards the future, saying, hey, someday I'm sending a Savior. Someday there's going to be a Messiah. He's going to step on the scene. Someday there's a Savior. He's going to forgive you. He's going to, he's going to pay for your sins. He's going to take care of you and I, of our sin problem. And so we see that all throughout the Old Testament as passages and, and over and over and over again, these prophets are saying, hey, someday God's going to fix this. And then here, 
what do we have? I mean, here we have um, John, this guy named John, John the Baptist, who baptizes Jesus. He points at Jesus and says, this is the guy. All right, this is him. Be ready for it. And so we'd expect after that, and then after Jesus, like, defeats Satan, you know, at his own game, you'd expect Jesus to, like, march into Jerusalem, be like, hey, guys, here I am, you're Messiah, you know, come worship me, let's go, let's, you know, just start kind of getting his movement going. But it's interesting because Luke, and Luke probably expected that as well, but Luke says Jesus actually returned to Galilee, okay? Galilee was like a, it wasn't a town, it was a region, kind of how we would view a county, okay, here in Ohio. And so he's like, actually, he, he moved back to Galilee. He moved back to this, to this region in the north that he was actually from. That's where he grew up. All right, he heads home. Not something we would ever expect him to do. And the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. So everybody around in Galilee, they all hear, hey, this Jesus guy, John says he's a big deal. What's this mean? He's talking well. I mean, he was teaching in their synagogues. He was being praised by everybody. I mean, everybody is all about Jesus and everybody is excited about this, about this guy named Jesus. It says he eventually came to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was actually the town that Jesus grew up in. Okay, Nazareth was in the region of Galilee, and um, Nazareth was one of those places that, uh, that, you know, that he, Jesus would have known like almost everybody. At this point in history, Nazareth has about 100 to 500 people living there, so it's really, really, really small uh, compared to like Tiffin or anything like that that we're used to, and, um, and, and so Jesus knows everybody. Now, for me, I grew up in Fremont, and so for me, it would be like, you know, heading back to Fremont, and that's kind of how it is in Fremont. If I go to like the Walmart in Fremont and just walk through, I'm grabbing something at the end of the store, like every time there's, I run into somebody that I know, like it just happens. It's been, I've, I've like noticed this in my life, I'm like ever since high school, I'm like every time I see somebody, you know, that I know there. And so that's just how it is in a town that you grew up. Many of you, if you grew up here in Tiffin, like that's how it is for you. And so that's how it was for Jesus. He knew everybody. Now Nazareth wasn't known for being like the best and the brightest, you know, came from that town by any means. In fact, if you remember um, that uh, one of Jesus' disciples, his name is Nathaniel, when he finds out that Jesus is Nazareth, from Nazareth, you know, he's just like, Nazareth, are you kidding me? Are you... all right, hold up. Are you telling me that the Messiah is from Nazareth? He says, what good has ever come out of Nazareth? Meaning nothing. And so all this news about Jesus, right, comes to Nazareth. And all the people in town, they're all like, what, Jesus? You know, that's crazy. Like, like they, they kind of view him maybe even as like a local hero. He's a prophet, people consider him as. He's this rabbi. I mean, he's a really, really, really big deal. And remember, he's about 30 years old at this point. So he's young. And so he goes back to his hometown to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as usual, he entered the synagogue. Now, just something I want to point out real quick. All right? Let me just point this out as usual. All right? Um, Jesus was in the habit of going to the synagogue every week. Okay, now some of you guys, you're like, I don't even know what that is. Like, you know, uh, what is that? Uh, synagogue was basically the Jewish form of, of church, okay? Um, actually, church kind of came from the idea of going to the synagogue once a week. And so it'd be like this. Like if Jesus was here today doing his thing, um, it'd be like Jesus, was, if he was around today, he'd be in the habit of going to church every week. I mean, just think about that, right? The idea of gathering together with other believers to study God's words or to study the Bible, and if Jesus thought going to church, in a sense, was important for him, let me just throw this out there, how much more important is it for us? Right? Think about that. 
I, I was just um, talking to a lady, I think it was, it was maybe the week before last week, and um, we're out in Tiffin, and uh, this lady, she found out that I worked at Grace, and so she's like, oh, Grace, okay, that's cool, I've been, I've been meaning to check it out, like, I was wanting to go to, like, a Bible study or something like that, she was kind of asking me stuff, it was really cool, she was really nice, and, um, and she's, like, asking me, like, how do I get involved, and I'm like, well, you know, the easiest way and probably the best way for you to get involved and kind of see what we're all about is just by coming on a Sunday morning. Now, she had never come before, and, and to that, she was like, yeah, you know, but um, I really don't think that... I need to go to church to have a relationship with God. Have you guys ever heard that before? Something like that? Maybe you've even thought of that before, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's me, <laughs> okay? Maybe that's you. Um, and to that, and I've heard that, you know, many times, and, and to a point, she's right, okay? You don't earn your way to heaven by going to church, okay? You, you just don't. That's completely opposite of what Jesus said. You don't earn your way to heaven by doing anything that's good. But when, when I, what I said to her is I'm like, yeah, you're right, um, but just think about it. Jesus, or like God, invented church. Like it was his idea. And even God went to church or to synagogue, very similar things. And so I'm like, it's probably a good idea that we go to church. And she was like, never thought of that before. I'm like, yeah, you know, crazy, right? Like here's Jesus. It's just so crazy to me. Here's Jesus. Jesus felt that it was important and good for him to go to church. How much more, or how much better, how much, let's say, more good, if you could say that, how much more good is it for us, who are sinners, who are messed up, jacked up, horrible, terrible people, to go to church? Like, it's important for us. And Jesus demonstrated that in his life as usual when he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And this specific Sabbath day, he stood up to read. And so the people in Nazareth, he's in Nazareth, all right, they welcome him. They're all excited. Here's Jesus, kind of like a local celebrity at this point. Uh, they view Jesus as a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was kind of their hometown boy, kind of a hometown hero. And so what they do here on the Sabbath is they honor him in the synagogue. It was a complete honor, huge honor to be able to teach or to be able to read, stand up and read in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And so they allow him to do that. They allow him to teach, which again was a huge honor to Jesus. And so they hand Jesus the scroll. Remember, there's no books at this point. They hand Jesus the scroll, and uh, it happens to be the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, right, which is an Old Testament book in your Bibles. He says that was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, Jesus found the place where it was written. Now, let me explain to you what he's about to read. Right, he's about to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 61, okay? You guys, if you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, all right, it's in there. Um, you could go look it up even right now. And so he, he gets this. Um, he's about to read Isaiah chapter 61, and everybody in the synagogue, everybody in the congregation, they know when Jesus starts reading these words, they know exactly what he's saying. They know exactly what it's about because they knew their Bibles a lot more, a lot better than probably anybody else, in, anybody in this room. Okay? They knew their Bibles way better than us, which isn't great for us, but they did. And so here they are, and, um, and they're, they're, when he starts talking, or he turns to Isaiah chapter 61, all right, they know that this passage is actually talking about the future Messiah, which Jesus just so happens to be. And so Jesus turns here, and when, they start, when he starts reading it, it's like one of those, I don't know some of you guys, um, you, uh, like, you, know, you come in here and the band starts playing your favorite song, like, and you know, like, two notes in, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, oh yeah, this is my jam. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys do that. I hear the hollering and stuff sometimes. And, um, 
that's what these people knew. Like, they knew two notes in. There are two words in. They're like, oh, Isaiah 61. I got this, Jesus. Like, they know exactly what he's doing. They're like, oh, yeah, this is talking about the future Messiah, the Messiah that we're all still waiting for. And they're all excited. And they're like, okay, okay, what's it going to be? And so Jesus turns here, and he starts reading it. And this is what it says. This is Isaiah chapter 61. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives of recovery of sight to the blind and to set free the oppressed. He says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant, and then he sat down, right? So he goes, and he, can, I want you to kind of picture this in your mind. So he reads this, this thing. It's super short, by the way. I know some of you guys are like, that's it? Like, that's a message? I'm all in for that. Okay, sorry. Not today, people. We're going a little longer than that. So that's your dream. I get it. But, um, but this is what Jesus does. He reads it. Then he hands the scroll. And then he gives it back to the attendant. And then he sits down with them. Everybody's looking at him. Super awkward. And it's probably just silent for a few Seconds and every in the eyes of everyone in the synagogue, they were all fixed on him. And so he's just sitting there, and there's just something about the way that Jesus said it that they're all like, What is he saying? Like, like that's it? Is he gonna finish it? He didn't even finish the rest of the chapter. He says, He begins by saying to them, He says, Hey, today, like today, as you listen to what I just read, this scripture been fulfilled. He's like, it's done. I took care of it. And they were all speaking well of him, and all of them were amazed. See, he's basically sitting there, and he's standing there, or sitting there, and he's just like, hey, you know the Messiah that you've been waiting for? You know the one that your grandma told you about, and your grandma's grandma told her about, and you know, just down the line, all your ancestors for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years? You know the Messiah that you've been reading about in the Old Testament, like over and over and over again? He's like, guess what? You're looking at him. And everybody is just like, what is going on? Everybody is, they're amazed by the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Yet, and this is a key word here, yet they said, oh, wait, ain't this Joseph's son? Remember, this is his hometown. They all know his family. They're like, is it, isn't this Jesus the carpenter? And someone probably in the crowd is like, yeah, he just like redid my bathroom like two years ago. He did a great job, by the way. Really good. Highly recommend Right, that type of thing. I mean, Jesus, and so uh, and so they're like, they're, and they're asking themselves, they're like, is is Jesus implying that he's the guy? Is Jesus implying that he is the Messiah? And some of them, they're sitting there, probably the older ones, they're like, whoa, I used to change his diapers, like when he was little. Like, hey, Jesus is nothing special. And there's a slight whisper that goes through the crowd, and everybody's kind of trying to figure this out. And Jesus knows what they're thinking, and he can hear what they're saying. And so he says to them, he says, hey, no doubt, <laughs> you will quote this proverb to me. And this was kind of a saying that they had back in the day. All right, it's a doctor, heal yourself, all right, or heal yourself first. He says that you guys would say, what we've heard that took place in Capernaum, why don't you just do here in your hometown also? And so they, these people, they've heard of the healings that he's, he's been healing people. He's been doing some miracles, been some crazy stuff. They've heard the rumors. And what they want him to do is they want him to perform one of his tricks for them. 
And they're all thinking the same thing. They're all thinking there's no way Jesus is the Messiah. There's no way the Messiah comes from Nazareth. There's no way that that guy, my carpenter, you know, the guy who did my bathroom, there's no way he is the savior of the world. I've known him all his life. And their idea, kind of their thinking behind it is, hey, you know, like prove it. If you say you are and if you are not lying, like if what you say is true, prove it with a magic trick. All right, prove it. Well, heal somebody. That guy needs healed. Why don't you take care of that guy? You know, it's that type of thing. And Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. In verse 24, it says, he also said, he said, truly I tell you that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I knew you guys wouldn't believe. All right? It's just not how it goes. He moves on. He says, but I say to you that there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days. Now, some of you guys have been going to church for any amount of time, or if you know your Bible, which you should you understand what Jesus is saying here because you've read your Old Testament, all right? Um, Elijah was a prophet back in the day, and, uh, and we, you can read about him if you read your Bibles. And uh, he, Jesus is pointing back to a time in Elijah's life. He says, yeah, you remember the time? And by the way, everybody's sitting there because they knew their Bibles better than us. Everybody sitting there knows exactly what he's talking about. And so he's like, you remember the time like back in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for six years and six months, or for three years and six months, basically three and a half years? You remember that? Remember how all that went? There was no rain, right? And because of that, there was a great famine that came over all the land, and they're all like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. He says, yeah, Elijah was not sent to any of them. Elijah was not sent to any of the Jewish widows except a widow at Zephyrath, right, in Sidon, a non-Jewish lady. He kind of points this out. He goes on. He gives them another example. He says, and if you remember the prophet Elisha, now, similar name, different dude, okay? We all got that, right? Um, he says, and remember Elisha? There were many in Israel who had leprosy. That was a, a horrible skin disease that people had, and it was highly contagious. And even, even during Jesus' time, there was leprosy you know, all over the place because Jesus was healing them a lot. And so he says, you know, there was a bunch of people in Israel. There was a bunch of Jewish people who had leprosy, yet, yet not one of them was cleansed or healed except for Naaman the Syrian. Now, what Jesus does here is something that we tend to just read past. We're like, I don't know what he means, but it's... it's is good. Okay, keep going. That's not, that's not what I want to do, okay? This is super important. When Jesus says this, what we got to understand is he hits a nerve, all right? He is calling them out. First, he's saying, you are rejecting me just like your ancestors rejected the Old Testament prophets. Just want to point that out. All right, moving on. And then he gives two examples of people in the Old Testament that God helped, and both examples that he gives happen to be Gentiles. Now, Gentile, if you don't know what that word is, that's kind of a, what we view as like a churchy word. It's actually a word from the Bible. It literally, it's just a non-Jewish person, okay? So probably every single one of us in this room, we're all Gentiles, okay? We're all under, we all understand what's going on? Okay. A few of us do. The rest of us are still confused, but come up and ask me later. Not at one time, all right? So here's the deal. Jews and Gentiles did not get along. In fact, they really don't get along even today a lot of times, it seems like. And for the Jews... What they viewed, they looked so down on Gentile people that they, to them, it was like there's no chance that God loves a Gentile. Like, it's just, there's just no way, right? God doesn't care for the Gentiles. He doesn't love the Gentiles, right? Gentiles, they are nobodies. Now, remember, in the Jews' defense, right, is that uh, the Jews were ruled by and oppressed by Gentiles at this point for like a thousand years, all right? So not great stuff. They'd done horrible things to Jews. I mean, it was just really, really, really bad. In fact, if you remember, um, just kind of the hate between these two groups, remember one time in Luke chapter 9, we'll get there in a few weeks, maybe months, I don't know. Um, Luke, or 
Jesus and his disciples, they go to a village full of non-Jewish people, Gentiles, and uh, the village, they don't want Jesus there. They're like, hey, you're a Jew, get out, we don't want you, we don't deal with Jews, we don't like you. And uh, if you remember, James and John, they go up to Jesus afterwards, they're like kind of walking away, and they're like, they're like, okay, Jesus, what do you want us to do? You want us to go and like, I got an idea. How about we call, how about we pray to God that he'll rain down fire on this village, on this village and we'll just burn them all up. That'd be sweet, right? How about we do that? Want me to do it? I'll make the prayer. I'll make the call. Jesus, you good with that? And Jesus, you know, like, think about it. That's his disciples. Like, this is the A-team, you know? This is like the varsity Jesus followers right here that Jesus, is, this is all he had to work with. And when Jesus hears this, he's like, he's like, wait, what? Huh? No! All right, we're not going to, no, we're not going to do that, all right? And he yells at them, and, but the idea here is that the Jews didn't associate with non-Jews. They just didn't. And so Jesus, this is what's crazy, what he's doing here is he is using the Old Testament, showing them with their own scriptures that God loves Jews and Gentiles, that God loves everybody, that he cares for everyone, that Jesus came to save all. And he does this, mind you, right after he implies that he's actually the Messiah. And so when the people hear this, I mean, this is just super, I mean, this is just incredible. And, and these people, this, this is, you know, it, they do not like this at all. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They are all offended by what Jesus said. It was so offensive to them as a Jew that they just could not stomach it. And so they got up and they drove him out of town. Now, let me just throw this out there. This doesn't mean they're like, hey, Jesus, could you come with us? You know, they handcuff him. They throw him in the car. He's like, watch your head, Jesus. You know, shut the door. And they drove him away. That's not what happened, okay? That's not what this means. Um, this is they like manhandled Jesus. Okay, so they didn't throw him in a car and drive away with him. What they did is they took him and they were dragging him. It's kind of like mob, ment mob mentality and they're pushing him by force, okay? And they're taking him and they're dragging him and they're taking him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on intending to hurl him over the cliff. All right, it says, but he passed right through them, the crowd, and he went on his way. Now, I don't know what that looked like. I wish I could. I bet Luke, as he's writing this down, and he's, you know, he's talking to all eyewitnesses, he's like, okay, tell me about the day that, that, that his hometown almost threw him off the cliff. I want to hear that story. Like, that's what he's doing. And he goes, and, and they're like, yeah, I was there. I watched it. And maybe even some people were like, I was in the crowd, and I, you know, did that. Couldn't believe it. And they're telling him this. And then, and then he's like, so why didn't they throw him over? And they're just like, I don't know. He just walked through him, and nobody touched him. After they drug him off to the cliff, he just walked away. And that's what he did. And so Luke's like, I don't, can't imagine, what did that look like? And Luke writes it down. See, Jesus was rejected by his own people. I don't know, maybe you know what that feels like. You know? Like, to be rejected by your neighbors or your friends, your family. Maybe for you, it's your own husband. Maybe at one point, it's your own wife. See, Jesus knew what it felt like to be rejected. And what's interesting about Jesus here is it doesn't make him desperate to win back the crowd. Like, if I were in Jesus' shoes, I feel like I'd be like, okay, that was intense. Barely made it out of that alive. Um, but what I'm going to go is I'm going to, like, give it a week. Let them, like, simmer down a little bit. Like, everybody just chill. We'll be all right. And then go back next synagogue and be like, okay, guys, let me... This is what I meant. I think this is, you know, and try to talk it out. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's kind of what I would do. That's not what Jesus does. 
Jesus, when they reject him, what he does is he's not desperate to win back the crowd. What he does, he just leaves. And he goes elsewhere. Luke tells us that he went down to Capernaum. All right, that's another city that's in Galilee. It's, um, it's right north of the, of the big Sea of Galilee. It's a huge lake um, in the middle of Israel, or kind of north Israel. And, um, and so he goes there, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. This is what he did, right? This is his custom. And so they were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. So what are they astonished at? What amazes these people, all right, the Jewish people, is that he's teaching with authority. He's teaching in a way that they've never heard of before. It's almost like he taught the Bible like he wrote it. Okay, and they're like, what is going on? It's almost like he taught the Bible like it was his words originally. And so Jesus is there. Everybody's amazed. He's teaching in the synagogue one day. And there's a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice in the middle of the service. He says, leave us alone. (laughs) What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. And amazement came over them all. I bet it was amazing. I bet they were amazement. I mean, they're just looking at this. Like, everybody's asking the same question. They're like, what just happened? I mean, can you picture this in your mind? Can you picture it? All right, they're at a, a synagogue service, kind of like this, all right? And uh, it's probably in the morning. And Jesus is teaching, and he's doing his thing. And this demon-possessed guy, like in the back, sitting on the back row, you back row people, you know, I'm just saying, that's probably where he was. And he's just like, ah, it's God. And Jesus is like, shut up, get out. And the guy does it, and, and, the, and it happens. It would have been a very memorable church service, okay? You would have remembered it for the rest of your life. And they, they were amazed, and they're all just like, they're just like, you know, what is this? Like, and what are they amazed at, by the way? His authority. Not only was he teaching with authority, but he wrote, you know, not only was he teaching with authority like he wrote the book, but he commands demons in a way that suggests he has the right to command demons, and check this out, the demons seem to agree with him because they obey him. At this point, he's already healed a bunch of people. I mean, this man, Jesus, he commands nature in a way that suggests that he has the right to command nature, and nature seems to agree with him because it obeys. By the way, do you see him that way? Do you see him as a God who's your authority? Or do you see him as someone who's adorable, has some good advice that uh, maybe you take, maybe you don't? See, Jesus was different. He talks like he owns the place. And at this point, the people don't know, the people don't know what to do with him. And they don't bow down and worship him. Like, it's almost like they, they just don't know what to do with him. And in fact, most people, they seem to view Jesus as they're like, I don't know, they're like happy helper, okay? <laughs> or the problem solver, someone who could just kind of fix all their problems. By the way, does that sound familiar with anybody? Isn't that how we do it? Like, we view God as like, hey, God, you know, I want you just to kind of, if you just hang out right there, I'm going to go do my own thing over here. When I get in trouble, when things don't go well, I'm going to come running back. So you just stay right here. And then we do that, and we're like crying out to God, like, hey, God, I need you to fix my mess. Like, I got a problem here. You need you to fix it. And then when he doesn't fix it the way we want him to fix it, we get mad at him. Right? Like, we think that makes sense. That's the same thing that these people, that's the same mentality that these people have. And so they start, they're sitting in there in this service, and they start whispering to each other, like, who is this guy? Like, what kind of man is this? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they actually obey. Crazy. He says that news about him, they began to go, to go out to every place in the vicinity. 
And after the service, we find out that Jesus goes to a guy named Simon's house. Now, Simon, uh, we're going to know him. We're going to get to know him next week uh, better. Because uh, Jesus gives him a different name, and it's this guy named Peter, okay, which we're going to know very well at the end of this account, Luke's account. And, um, and so he goes to Peter's house, probably for lunch or something like that. And while they're there, Peter's like, hey, Jesus, you know, um, you know actually, the real reason why I invited you over is my mother-in-law. She's sick. And she's got a fever, hasn't been able to break it. Could you, like, do one of those tricks, you know? Could you, like, uh, heal her real quick? And she's like, okay. You know, so he goes, and he heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And, um, and, and remember, there's an issue with this, of him doing this, is that what day is it? It's the Sabbath, right? They just got out of their church service type thing. And so this was a huge problem. Because the religious leaders had all these rules about all these things that you could or couldn't do on the Sabbath. And really where they're getting that from is they're getting that from the Old Testament. So um, if you remember the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is you got to, um, you know, I got to honor the Sabbath. And so what we see for our lives is that God's got this idea that we're supposed to like work our butts off for six days a week. And then one day a week, total rest. It's actually good for us. That's what we should be doing. That should be the pattern, by the way, of your life. We see that all the way back before, before the Old Testament was written in, you know, in the, as, that's what God did when he created uh, the world. And so that's something that we see. And so the religious leaders, they took that, were like, okay, so you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And then they're like, well, what could be considered as work? So they came up with all these things that could be considered as work or not work. And they even had like, they even had the amount of steps that you could take on the Sabbath. So, you know, if you took one step more than their line of, you can only take like 500 steps or whatever, I don't know what the number was, then if you cross that, then you were actually working because you took too many steps. Like they were crazy on all this stuff. They had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules. And one of those rules was you weren't allowed to help somebody, you weren't allowed to heal somebody, all right, with sickness on the Sabbath. And here's Jesus. He's just like, yeah, forget that rule. I'm doing it. And he heals Peter's mother-in-law, something they're not supposed to do. And if the religious leaders were to find out, this would cause issues. And we're going to find out later, right, later on in the story, not today, but later on, that this, cause issue, this causes a bunch of issues. Jesus doesn't go by the rules. And so news about Jesus begins to leak out. And that night, Luke tells us that once the sun goes down, all right, after the, the Sabbath is, is considered over, once the sun goes down, it says, as the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases, they all brought them to him. And as he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. And even this is extremely significant. Again, we kind of read past this stuff. We don't quite understand. Even this would have been super weird to people because back then, right, people would do everything in their power not to touch a sick person, right, not to touch a person who's got some disease because it was considered unclean. Now, they didn't understand the scientific evidence and, and you know, germs. They didn't understand all that kind of stuff. But they also weren't dumb. And so they knew that a sick person, if they were to touch them, um, that, uh, that it could be contagious and there's a good chance that they could get that same sickness or that same disease, right, from being near sick people. But here, think about it. Here's Jesus, who's this guy. He comes on and he's laying his hands on these sick people. He's touching them. And instead of Jesus getting sick, the sick got better. Nobody's seen it before. And nobody has even heard of that happening before. And not only that, but check this out. It says, also demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Messiah. See, this is all crazy stuff. 
we read stuff like this, and, you know, in our day and age, I think sometimes we read stuff like this, and it's just, like, hard to believe. We're like, well, yeah, I don't really know about that. Like, you know, um, the question that I was thinking about this week, I'm like, you know, why, why is Luke telling us this? Like, why, why, as Luke is writing down his account of Jesus' life, like, why does he tell us stuff like this? Like, let's be honest. This makes it harder to believe. Like, this makes it harder for each and every one of us to believe, because I don't know about you, like, I've never seen a demon-possessed guy. Like, I just haven't, okay? I don't know about you, I've never seen anybody take their hand and lay it on somebody, and they're instantly fully healed. I've never seen that before in my life. And so when I hear stories about stuff like that, like, I'm just telling you, this is just how my mind works. I'm honestly, I'm, I'm already, like, I already question that. Okay? And for me, I think I'd be asking Luke, I'd be like, wouldn't it be better just to kind of focus on the things that Jesus said and maybe Jesus' teachings? Like, that seems like, you know, why don't we focus on that stuff instead of the things that he did that are, that are kind of unbelievable? They're like miracles and stuff. And I feel like if you were able to ask Luke that question, like, why are you telling us all this stuff? Like, Jesus instantly healing people and Jesus, like, drop-kicking demons and stuff like that. Like, why are you telling us all this stuff? I think this is what Luke would say. I think he would say, because it happened. Because it happened. I think Luke would say, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know it makes it harder to believe. In fact, I bet Luke would say, I found it hard to believe myself. And so that's why I asked this person. When that person told me about this, I was like, nah, that can't be. I'm going to ask this person who saw it and this person who saw it and this person who saw it. He's like, but then I talked to enough people who saw enough of this stuff that I was like, okay, this must have, you know, these people watched it happen. These people heard it happen. And, and I found out that, no, no, this is real. And so I wanted to include it because it's really what happened. It's true. And so Luke gives us the details, and as Jesus begins his public ministry, I mean, here's Luke. He's telling us, yeah, it was crazy. Crowds upon crowds and crowds show up on Peter's doorstep looking for Jesus, and they want to see what Jesus can do, and they want him to fix their problems. And what's crazy about it? He was helping them. See, when Jesus started his ministry, right at the beginning, this is right at the beginning, it's funny because people who were nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus and Jesus liked them back. People who were nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus, and Jesus liked them back. And here he is. He's helping people, and he's healing people all night. He's spending his whole night doing this. And in fact, the next day, Luke says, he left early, and he made his way to a deserted place. See, even Jesus needed a break sometimes. But the crowds, they were searching for him. And they came to him, and they tried to keep him from leaving them. And for them, I mean, things, this is just a great, great thing that's going on for them. This is really working out well for them. And so they're telling Jesus, like, hey, stay with us. Why don't you just set up shop here? That'd be awesome in Capernaum. All right, for them, it's like there's crowds from all the surrounding villages and all the surrounding cities. They're all kind of meeting up in Capernaum to hear what Jesus has to say, to see what Jesus is doing. I mean, the mayor of Capernaum's happy. The businesses are happy. They're making more money than normal. The traffic's a little annoying, and they have to wait a little longer in the line at Kroger. But besides that, all right, it's really, really good for the town, you know, like that type of thing. And so Jesus, he tells them, and they're like, hey, stick with us. We got a good plan. And Jesus is like, nah, I got to go. This is what he says. He says, it's necessary for me to proclaim the good news. He says, I got great news, all right? This, I'm the Messiah. Here I am. I'm coming to save you better than, more than you could ever imagine. And he said, I came to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to other towns also, not just you guys, because I was sent for this purpose. He's saying, this is the reason why I'm here. I'm here to tell everybody about the good news, that their Messiah is finally here, the one they've been waiting for for generation after generation, and I'm here to pay for their sin. And not only their sin, 
but ours as well. It's the greatest story ever told. And Luke documents it all for us so that we may know what happened and so that we may believe. And so that's why if you're sitting here and you're trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out and you're like, man, I don't really, like, I don't know what to believe. Like I'm trying to figure out who is this guy. Like you've heard of him before, but you just don't know who he is. That's why you should lean in to what Luke has to say. That's why you should come back over the next few weeks and over the next few months as we go through the story of Jesus so that you can meet the real Jesus, the real deal, so that you can actually get to know him. See, we don't have to be an average Jesus lover who doesn't know what he said, doesn't know what he did. You shouldn't fill in the gaps of our knowledge about Jesus with your assumptions. Like, that's not how we're supposed to, not how we're supposed to do it. That's, that's fake. We can know him. And we'll pick up there next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words. And we thank you for inspiring Luke, giving him the drive to go and investigate all this stuff and figure all this stuff out. And God, we thank you for coming. You came down, born in the dirt, to save each and every one of us, or at least to give us an option, at least to give us a choice, right, whether we want to follow you or we want to do our life our own way. And God, we thank you so much. And Lord, you know what it's like to be human. You know what it's like to be rejected. You know what it feels like. And God, we ask that we place our faith in you and our trust in you, and we thank you for, for caring and loving us. I don't even understand it. So much for us to do that. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll see you guys back here next Sunday as we continue the series. Have a good week.